You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Amen. We hear you clapping in the tent. We hear you clapping in your homes. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you again for the creative ways that you uh, allow us, the vision that you've given us to gather together and not forsake the assembling together. Lord, thank you for the hearts of people who have just this desire to wake up on a Sunday morning and whether it's tune in on a computer, on an iPad, on a TV, in a tent. Lord, whatever that setting might be, bless them, Lord, for um, the effort that they're making to come and worship you. Lord, there's so much to, to work through these days. So much coming at us. So many different views and just so much information. And how necessary it is to come together to open up the inerrant, eternal, inspired word of God and have comfort just impressed upon our heart from you, the author. Peace, peace that passes understanding. The peace that you give, Jesus. The settling of a soul. Man, truth. Truth that divides and separates all the just, the, the, just the noise of our day and brings us back to a very balanced, stable position as your kids, as the body of Christ. Lord, as just the body of Christ around the world has been pulled apart by a virus and by fear and by just so many different things. We are so honored that you're bigger than that which divides us. And we are grateful, Holy Spirit, for how you continue to unite us. So use this day. Use this study on the life of Noah. And Lord, just further connect us. Connect us further to you and to one another and the vision that you have for us specifically um, as a church. So we love you and we're honored to just be Taught by you. Holy Spirit, go for it, we pray. And uh, lastly, we just, all of us who are believers, we unite our heart. And, and we pray for any that would be here on our property or listening in online that don't know you. We pray for salvation this morning, that they would give their life to you. And we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may have a seat out side in the, uh, the tent area there. Let's turn our Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pick up in verse 7, and we're going to continue our series on persevering faith. And um, as I said a few weeks ago, we started this series through the book of Hebrews with the idea in mind that um, our faith is under attack. And it, it always is, but in a very unique way in this season as we are dealing with a worldwide pandemic 
and um, all the different views that just are thrown into um, our world, whatever our line of media might be that we're trying to just keep updated on all of this, uh, man, it's all over the map, and it has led people to uh, be very confused, um, very fearful, and, uh, and, and there's been some people who uh, have learned to monitor that news. They, they are informed but not engulfed by it, and uh, they are engulfed by God's Word, and they have just found the direction of God's Word, just kind of leading them through almost like a, a field with landmines, and just, uh, we're, we're not getting blown up by this stuff, and our faith is maybe even growing and stronger in uh, the last few months. So, uh, I thought it'd be good to go through a series on faith, just to kind of look at what faith is and some good examples, of course, that uh, will help us understand what we can do to strengthen our faith, to have a persevering faith in this very interesting, trying time in which uh, we live. I love what Robbie had to say. Um, the Lord just gave him a nugget, just a very simple nugget about who he is called to be as just just a Christian right now, in a world that is growing ever dark, man, God, who is light, who lives within us, desires for us to be salt and light, um, is looking for very um, unique ways to emanate uh, himself through us. Um, I was recently walking into a, uh, a sto- kind of a restaurant, a fast food place, yeah, a healthy one, of course. And uh, I have a mask on and everything. That the, I read the 15 different things on the door before I went in and uh, followed everything as much as I could. But I think as I was standing outside, I was behind their, their wall of rules on the, the glass door there. They didn't see me. I was the only one that was going to come in. There was no one inside. But as I walked in, I, I noticed there was a Christian program on, very loud, and I watched one of the, the workers just run to the back and turn it off. And then kind of come out and greet me. And, you know, without, you know, being able to see everyone's face, they can't see how I'm laughing behind my mask. I can't tell. Are they freaked out? Oh, no, we're busted. We got a Christian radio program on, you know. And um, I just encouraged. I said, hey, 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 what was that I heard, you know. And, and, and almost like put them on the spot like I would almost be against what I heard. But what was that that I just heard? Yeah, oh, what was that? And. And, um, and I just said, that was good news, wasn't it? And the guy looked around and said, yeah, that's good news. I go, put it back on. I, I said, I, and I typically don't, you know, tell people who I am or whatnot. But listen, I'm a pastor in the community. And I am, I am all about people being bold in their faith. I just encourage you, man, just louder is better right now. Brighter is better right now. And um, this is what this whole Bible study, this series is designed uh, for. Just to encourage us to be Men and women of faith, that persevering faith. Again, when we look at the book of Hebrews, um, the writer is writing to Christians. They're, they're, they're Christian Jews. They're converted Jews. Their faith that he's talking about is a faith that they had placed in Jesus to save them. A faith that they had continued to place in him and walk with him. But there was real mounting pressures, as we've noted, from Roman opposition, from uh, their own loved ones and friends, uh, and, and they were just, 
they were just, the pressure was mounting and the pressure was starting to affect their face, their faith, excuse me, adversely. And, and many of them were just tempted to walk away from what they had. Walk away from body life. Walk away from their, their church group. <laughs> and return back to just life before faith in Christ. And what that produced in body life as Christians living in that first century. Lori and I were talking recently about the challenges. Many people, every time we run into anybody, they're like, how's the church? How, how are things going? And I do my best to give a very factual, updated you know, report on, on what we're doing, how things are going. But oftentimes we run into people from our community that used to go to our church and we haven't seen for months. And Lori was saying, it's a, it's a peculiar thing, isn't it, that you, you don't want to make them feel bad. At the same time, you, you, you lived a lot of body life with them. And now you have this relationship where they're on the other side of a camera, if they're even there. And then you run into them and you're like, wow, should, how far should we go? If, if they're dealing with fear and they don't want to be around uh, you know, large groups right now, we understand that. We don't want to put pressure on that. But at the same time, we want to build faith and we want to, to encourage people to think through how important it is to press on and to have persevering faith, whatever that looks like in this season, as many in our church are pulled away from what they were and what they had pre-COVID-19. We are so grateful for all of what God is doing online. We're all incredibly grateful for what God is doing and bringing newer families and newer people around here. Uh, but we also know there's a large base of people that we've got to go out to and continue to encourage and continue to, to reach. And so the question that the author is posing in the book of Hebrews is a very relative question for us today. And, and it would be like, hold on a second. Hold on. Let's think about what it means if we are tempted to or begin to in any way walk, walk away from what we had with Christ in a personal relationship with him, in a corporate body life function with others. Again, when we, when we walk away from just Christianity, whatever that is, however that happens in our heart, however that happens practically, when we walk away from Christianity, we are... We are walking away from a person, ultimately. Not just people in the body of Christ, but the, the person of Christ. And so he spends 10 chapters, the first 10 chapters, again, reminding them of who Jesus is and what he has done and what Jesus accomplished and what he offers us through faith. And again, he returns to the topic of faith here in chapter 11 because he, he wants them to know, wants them to remember that it has always required persevering faith in Jesus to walk successfully with Jesus and others who are walking successfully with Jesus. And that in a fallen world. So in verses 1 through 3, he starts out by giving them that simple description of what faith does and how faith works. 
He gives them a biblical description of a faith that perseveres. We don't have time to unpack all those scriptures again. But to boil it down, faith is living in absolute confidence that what God said he will do, even when the fullness of the promise has yet to be seen. So beginning in verse 4, he gives example after example, 17 known people out of the Old Testament whose lives were marked by a faith that perseveres. So far, we've looked at Abel, then we've looked at Enoch. Abel, of course, showed us how he becomes a, a picture of how we enter the life of faith by coming to God on his terms. Enoch shows us how we live the life of faith, how we walk the life of faith. Um, again, all of these studies are online throughout the week. You can download them, check them out. And, and if you're not following the series, I would encourage you to back up and, and, and start at the beginning. Some rich stuff as it relates to our faith. As we move forward, the next patriarch on the list um, is going to be Noah. But before he gets to him in verse 6, he, he says, again, it's important to understand that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, we will never be saved by God, never walk with God, never enter into heaven with God apart from faith. And so we talked about what is that faith that pleases God? It is a faith that believes that God exists, that he is. Secondly, it's a faith that believes he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A faith that pleases God is a faith that believes that he is the one true God of the Bible, the self-existent, the eternal God, the God who loves and forgives and who saves. Then we come to Noah. By faith in verse 7, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, we learn about the life of Noah in the book of Genesis again, beginning in chapter 6 all the way through chapter 9. When we come to the life of Noah, we come to a point in history that is very, very unique in many ways. <clears throat> the people were unique as the people were still living well into their, their 900s. It wouldn't be uncommon for someone to say, hey, let's go <coughs> celebrate the birthday of, and they name a person that everyone would have known because they've been on the earth for 900 years, the 900th birthday of so-and-so. Remember, again, the Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, he lived to be 969 years. Well, Methuselah, interestingly enough, was Noah's grandfather. Noah's dad, Lamech, had lived 777 years, which <coughs> makes it quite possible for him to be alive at the same time as Adam himself. Imagine the reminiscing that could take place when you get around some of these older patriarchs. Imagine what it would be like to sit down and, and, and talk about loved ones that actually knew Adam and had talked to Adam. 
the close of Genesis chapter 5, we learn something about Noah. We know that Noah there started his family at the prime age of 500. Today we kind of think it's extreme if somebody starts a family in their 40s. But Noah lived 950 years. And so he had, of course, plenty of time to pour into a family from 500 to the age of 950. In Genesis chapter 6, we learn that the times of Noah were also very unique because it was a time of a population explosion. It says there, it was a time when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Remember again in Genesis chapter 1, it would say of, of Adam in verse 28, and God blessed Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so we have this pre-flood population. If the growth rate, excuse me, of the, the pre-flood world was equal to the growth rate today, we could have somewhere around 750 million people alive on the earth when the flood came. If you add the extremely long lifespan prior to the flood, the growth rate could have been much higher, somewhere around 4 billion people, more than you know, half of the earth's population today. That's just mind-boggling. From Genesis 4, we learn that before the flood, there were rapid advances as well in different kinds of technology. There were certain craftsmen, there were builders, there were instructors, and the different, different technologies. Society had, had grown in age, society had grown in population, society had grown in techno, technolo, technology. <laughs> but as you read through Genesis chapter 6, you also begin to realize it had grown in immorality. It had grown in perversity and wickedness, in corruption. In verse 5 of Genesis 6, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And this is a very sad verse, verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. I'm just sorry that I've made him. In verse 11 of Genesis 6, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and the idea, the picture here is that the immorality, the wickedness, the debasement was global. God saw a world, a mass of people who were inwardly corrupt, outwardly violent, upwardly they were rebellious. Noah was the 10th generation from Adam. And we see sin 
and how it began to spread and its effects upon the human race. It got so bad that the Lord said, first of all, in Genesis chapter 3, or Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. These people became very unique in the way they lived, but they would also become very unique in the way that they would die. They would die by or through an act of global judgment brought on by God. In verse 7 again of Genesis 6, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. Again, I'm sorry that I've made them. Just a few chapters back in Genesis, in Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw everything again that he made, and indeed, it was very good. But now God looks at the crowning act of his creation, which is mankind, and what they have come because of sin. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm grieved in my heart. And the idea of God being sorry does not mean that God made a mistake. Sorry here in the, in the Hebrew is, is the word neham. It means to be moved with pity or to be moved with compassion. God sees the effects of sin and he feels grieved by the effects of sin. His pity, his creation that is affected by sin absolutely grieved or broke his heart. This pity and this compassion is reflected in the way that God responded to sin. God allows 120 years between the announcement that I'm going to judge the world and the initiation of that judgment. In this 120-year period of time, I would say a period of grace, we meet this, this man named Noah. In Genesis 6, 8 and 9, it says of Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of of the Lord. Verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah was, was a sole ray of light in a world that had gone dark through immorality and wickedness. In Noah, we see persevering faith on display at a time when the world had become very rebellious, very lawless, and very immoral. Amidst this dark, unbelieving world is this man Noah, this one man walking in harmony with God. An interesting title given to him, perfect in his generation, a just man, a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So gleaning from his life, let's consider some facts about the persevering faith of Noah. You can write some notes if you're a note taker here. Number one, 
When we look at Noah's faith, faith must have something to believe. Faith must have something to believe. I say over and over and over and over and over here that our faith is only as good as that in which it is placed. Faith must have something to believe. For Noah, it was a warning from God. Verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. The, the primary unseen thing that Noah was warned about was the earth's population was about to be destroyed. It was about to be destroyed by a, a, a cataclysmic flood, by a global flood, by judgment of water covering the earth. Noah's faith was tied to a warning from God and, and also a specific request from God. This was another thing not seen. He could not see how God was going to deliver him and his family. He could not see the ark that he himself was to build. But God would give him the warning and God would specifically talk about the judgment. He'd yet to see it. And God would specifically talk about the saving of his household and the building of an ark. But he, but he had all of that given to him. And these are things he had never seen. And in this world where it was so immoral and so wicked and so dark and so many were just ignoring God and anti-God, this one just man would step forward believing the word of God. Never seen anything like this before, but absolutely believing the word of God, what God had said, and he would step out in faith and he would do it with the saving of his household in mind. In Genesis 6, 14 through 16, we have the, the ark's specifications. It would be 450 feet long. It'd be 150 feet wide. It'd be 45 feet tall. It'd be three stories, three levels, each 15 feet tall. The cubic footage of the ark would be 1,400,000 cubic feet. About the size of 522 train cars piled up on one another. Another description, it would be one and a half football fields long. About as wide as a football field and about four stories high in our maybe visual of buildings today. The ark was more of this large barge than a ship. God says to this man of faith, judgment's coming. I got a task for you. I got this, this job. I want you <coughs> to build a boat. Build me a 450-foot boat. I know you've never seen anything like this. I know you've never had a need or seen a need for anything like this. But there will be a need for this. And it's going to take you a little while. 
It's going to take you about 120 years or so. Question. How enduring is your faith? I remember when I was a, a younger guy, I had, you know, a season, maybe when I was in my, my elementary age, where, you know, the dots were connecting, and, 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 and I was so excited about Jesus. And I remember being less excited about Jesus. I got to my junior high age, and just... Man, if I could just stay home from church, mom, dad, you're taking me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every activity, I was just being drowned with like church activity. But they were committed to make sure these two boys, Lee and Lance Cook, walk with Jesus, even if we were forced by our parents. I remember waking up again in my, maybe my mid to latter high school years and just being so on fire for the Lord. Where, where my faith was persevering, it was growing. I remember again after that, it faltering. And all of us have those cycles if we've walked with the Lord for a number of years where our, our faith would be noted as a noble faith, as a growing faith, as a persevering faith. And then we have those seasons where we might be labeled as a person whose faith is more of a faltering faith. And we've got to ask ourselves that question as we, we, we look at the word of God and who God has called us to be in this time, in this season, in this day, in this age of lawlessness, of, of just wickedness, of immorality, in an age where everyone is faltering because of fear. And ask ourselves, man, what is it that God has for me? Is my faith a persevering faith over these last few months? Or is it a faltering faith? What has God asked of you in the last couple of years? Have you persevered through? You that have that calling to reach others in the body of Christ, have you persevered through these last few months and continue to fulfill that calling of Christ? Well, you might say, well, Lance, there's a lot of things that aren't happening on our church property that used to happen on our church property. Well, those, those people you used to reach on our church property are still people off of our church property. And I have to ask myself, is, is my calling, the calling that God has given me and the affirmation of his word, is that a more pressing thing than the pressure of a virus? and the fear that comes from a worldwide pandemic. Noah was asked by God to just step out in faith and do something, something someone's never done, to, to deal with a judgment no one's ever seen, anything like this before, never seen even rain on the earth. And he's like, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to need you to hang in there, buddy. In the face of all the ridicule, in the, in the face of everyone else who's drank the Kool-Aid and has bought into the, 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 the wickedness and the debauchery, it's global, Noah. They've all bought into it, but you haven't. So I choose you. I've got a word for you. I've got a task for you. I've got this project for you. But man, you are going to have to hang in there. This is going to just take year after year after year. 
Imagine how this would sound to an average farmer. I believe most would freak out. Either our fear will conquer our faith or faith will conquer our fear and we will press on with what God has called us to be. But as the author said, relating to Noah here, you know, it, well, in, in verse 1, faith is, is being sure. The writer of Hebrews here in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Our text tells us that Noah responded by faith in verse 7. Faith, again, requires that we believe God's word and we rest our lives on it. Noah was living in absolute confidence that what God said he will do even when the fullness of the promise had yet to be seen. That's faith. By trusting what God said, he saw the unseen. He saw the unseen mountain of water covering the entire earth, destroying the every living thing. He saw the massive ark made of gopher wood and covered inside and outside with pitch. He saw its rooms. He saw the work of his hands. He saw the ark riding over the tempest of water. Noah was sure of what he hoped for. The promise of salvation for him and his family. For him, the future promise of salvation was so real it was present. In an instant, this man, Noah, he entrusted everything to God and there was no doubt that there was this certainty that swept over his soul. So faith has got to have something to believe in. And Noah heard the word of God and he put his faith in that word, in the judgment that would come, in the task that was set before him, what God would do in in saving his household. Faith, secondly, not only has to have something to, you know, believe, but faith must obey that which it believes. By faith, Noah, he moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his family. Notice how the author lays this out. Don't miss this. It's very important. By faith, Noah... He moved with godly fear. To move with godly fear is to obey God out of love and reverence for God. It's a loving reverence and respect for who God is, what he says, and obeying what he says. Noah obeys God not because he dreads the consequences of disobedience. No, he obeys God because of a sweet reverence that he has for God. Those obedience is built on a warm, affectionate heart for God. It was a faith expressed with a devotional awe towards God. We need to be aware of obedience that is unemotional and impersonal. We need to be aware and be cautious of obedience that is cold 
and lacks affection when it comes to God. We need to be aware and be cautious of a, an obedience that leaves our hearts beating at the same rate as before we believed. Not only is there an affectionate side to Noah, but there's also a practical side. By faith, <clears throat> Noah moved with godly fear, but the practical side is Noah moved. <laughs> In Genesis 6.22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Four times in Genesis, it says of Noah, he did all that God had commanded him to do. I must admit that in the last season of ministry, I would just say God has blessed us to where, I would just use the term, he spoiled us. I have been so honored to be able to walk into rooms such as a sanctuary like this, see them filled up with people carrying their Bibles, to look around and to watch every post manned by people, to know that as I'm teaching here, there's over 250 people on our property serving in any one, one week on a Sunday, people in our cafe, our children's ministry, our parking, our junior high, our, our high school, our our, our uh, Spanish, our Japanese, we go on with all the various activities that would just go on and, and to see all of the people. Our, our job as pastors in Ephesians 4 as pastor teachers is to equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. And all of that equipping, never did I know or never did I imagine that I would be equipping the body of Christ in the last year, the last season, all of the mentoring groups that I oversee all of the, the, the discipleship that I do throughout the month, both here and abroad, never in my, my wildest imagination did I, did I know that I was equipping the body of Christ for a worldwide pandemic. Never did I know that as I was equipping all of those people, many of those people would have their faith rocked and fear would take over. Never in my wildest imagination would I ever believe that all of what God was doing would be boiled down to me being on one side of a camera and everyone else being on another side of a camera. Never in my wildest imagination, in my equipping with great conviction, would I ever believe that the church, Christian men especially, would have settled for that. And not pressed on just individually or chase me down corporately and say, how are we going to take advantage of this season? Because we too, exactly like Noah, we have the word of God which we can put our faith in. Faith needs that to believe and we've got that. We also have believed with conviction over the years that we have been visited Regularly in our meetings, in our prayer times, 
in our discussions, in our teachings, that we have been visited by God and a reverence for God has so developed to where when you walked in this room, you felt the presence of God. When you walked on this property, you felt the presence of God. We know what it's like as a church to move in godly fear. Never in my life, in my life, the last few years, did I believe that that equipping, that that season of pouring in and having Jesus visit us in so many unique ways and growing a homeschool and growing our Awanas program and growing our outreach, that all of that would be reduced for a season to me being on one side of a camera and the body of Christ being on another. Never, never in my years of ministry would I ever think that I would see so many people's faith rocked by fear at the same time. Never in my wildest dreams, and, and especially last year in, in 2019, did I believe we would come to a point where we would be actively pursuing our body of Christ by going to their homes. Actively pursuing them by making phone calls. Just creative ways to go out and, and find them. To weep with them who are dealing with the loss of a loved one. Never in my, my mind would I ever think that my wife would come to me and say, Lance, you know, it's, it's interesting that all of these women that I reach out to in the, 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 the Zoom meetings and, and the, the leadership meetings, it's, just, it's less and less over time. I see the same thing with men. When I go through a Bible study and I see a man like Noah with faith that... <clears throat> is a model of persevering, of pressing on, I think it necessitates the challenge. Five, almost six months later, is my faith a faith that has persevered? I have to look at my calling. First to me and Lori. Then to me and my girls. Then to, to me and the body of Christ. And I have to ask myself, has my faith faltered? Have I allowed a pandemic to define now who I am? Have I allowed lawlessness and wickedness and darkness to creep up all over me and freak me out to where I'm thinking I better pack my family and get them out of California like quick? Or has my faith grown and matured and persevered because the Holy Spirit has spoke to my heart and called me to lead. And thank God for the, the men and the women who have faithfully worked through the same things I have and have, have heard that and felt that tug of, of Jesus saying, it's not about you, it's about others. Find a creative way to keep it about others. That was Noah. It was Noah. He moved with godly fear. And it was driven out of a love and a reverence for God. And a love and a reverence for the lost. His own family. He didn't want them to be lost. But he moved. He moved. Are you moving? <laughs> it's a simple question. 
as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, are you on the move for Jesus today? He began to build. He would have harvested the wood for years. He would have constructed a 450-foot keel. He would have connected all the ribs. That would have taken a few more years. Planed out the wood. Connected all the, the ribs to the keel. All by hand. I know how to do some of this by, with machinery as a surfboard shaper. But man, planing out all that wood. Connecting all that wood. With just my hands. And, and, and some, some tools that I would have made myself. Prepare the wood for the upper decks, the lower decks. Noah is building this ship year after year, far from any ocean, while he is warning people of a global flood. Imagine telling people, it's going to rain. Imagine telling people today, Jesus is coming back, but you... You're doing something in your life that absolutely convinces them you believe it. He's coming. He's going to judge the earth. And they look at your life and they go, that guy believes it. That was Noah. That's what persevering faith looks like. In the face of the taunts, the insults, the amusement that they would make at your expense of you and your family, that's some persevering faith. In the face of ridicule and scoffing and scorn, Noah remained faithful. He moved on his convictions that what God said he will do. It's your faith. Some have strong faith. Some have weak faith. Some have wobbly faith. They believe it today. They doubt it tomorrow. What challenges our faith? Human reasoning does. Human reasoning says, it's never rained. The earth has never flooded. You don't need to spend any of the rest of this year, let alone the 120 years, building this ship. If, if you live by human reasoning, you're just going to miss out on God's plan for your life. You allow our feelings to overcome our faith. Oftentimes, as we've seen, fear overtakes our faith. Maybe the fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of what others might think. Or how about this? Fear of, of actually being affected physically by a virus. A real fear. Fear is a driving force in every society. A couple of years ago, I read a study of the most, what people feared most. I remember I wrote those notes down. Number one at the top of the list, well, back then was a terrorist attack. Second, which we might see today be first, was serious illness or death. Next was heights, then snakes. If you like snakes, something's weird with you, about you, but identity theft is another big fear. And rejection from others, and then ridicule. And then down the list around eight or nine was actually the fear of losing our cell phone. <laughs> you 
it's a, an interesting thing. It's called nomophobia. <laughs> nomophobia, you know, you get it. But, but it's just a weird deal. The things we fear. Today, lawlessness is real. So is the fear that it's created. COVID-19 is real. So is the fear that it's created. Losing my job. That could be a fear that's related to all of this. Kids not going back to school. That could well up some real fear. But the more we focus on the circumstances, the more that that fear is going to grow. Uh, but on the other side of that, the more we focus on God and his plan for us in this season, the more our faith will grow. Noah refused to focus on the circumstances. He chose to focus on the Lord. Thus he developed a faith that was fueled by a sweet reverence for God. He developed a persevering faith, a long-haul faith that moved his feet into action for 120 years. So persevering faith, it must have something to believe. It obeys. Number three, it, it, persevering faith has a witness. By faith, verse 7, being divinely warned of things not seen, he moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Biblical, persevering faith involves believing, believing that what God says he will do, that produces obedience which in turn produces a witness. In Noah's case, his witness condemned that unbelieving world. By faith, Noah grabbed hold of God's global warning of judgment and God's personal command to build an ark. By faith, he built that ark. He prepared that ark, that, that large barge that would save his family. At the same time, this act of faith in believing God's word and stepping out in obedience and building that ark, it condemned the world. His faith witnessed. It spoke. His faith communicated a message to the lost world around him. The witness of his faith spoke volumes, volumes. It spoke volumes by what Noah did, his actions, how he was living his life, spoke loud and clear to a non-believing world for 120 years. How he lived his life let no doubt in the mind of anybody that he believed in God and that his God was going to judge the world. It spoke volumes by what Noah said as well. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter called Noah a preacher of righteousness. That means that for 180 years, 120 years, excuse me, while he labored to build that ark, he preached to all, anyone who would listen. He used the platform that God gave him. His pulpit was just scaffolding. Scaffolding around an ark being built. 
His audience was a non-believing world that would have made fun of him and ridiculed him. A world that was caught up in perversity and immorality and wickedness and corruption. His message was a call to repent and put your faith in God. Are you going to come under God's judgment? He faithfully preached righteousness for 12 decades. I thought 30 years of ministry was hardcore. This is hardcore. So the witness of Noah's faith spoke volumes by what he did, by what he said. It also spoke volumes by who he was. Remember what we read about him in Genesis 6, 8 and 9. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Powerful witness by the way he lived his life. He lived out what he preached. Who better to preach about the grace of God than one who is living out their life transformed by the grace of God? Who better to call people into repentance than a guy who is living a repentive life? (laughs) Who better to warn people of God's judgment than a guy who spends every waking hour preparing for God's judgment himself? This he did faithfully for 120 years with only his family responding. Lastly, we see the results of persevering faith. By faith being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, prepared the ark, the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah's faith, listening to God's word, moving with godly fear, walking with God, being a just man, speaking up about God's coming judgment led to his becoming an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. How the Hebrews needed to hear this How we need to hear this. The author of Hebrews is talking about righteousness that comes from from God through faith. Not a righteousness that we earn or, or, or we merit on our own. It is a gift from God. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, where he's like, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the non-Jew. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul would say in Romans 3, 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. A result of Noah's faith, the saving of his household. 
There came a day when it began to, to rain for 40 days, 40 nights without stopping. Genesis 7, Noah and his family, they get into the ark. It's filled up with the, all the animals, two of every kind. The Lord shut them in. I'm sure those outside the ark, they saw the rain, began to think, maybe this guy wasn't so crazy after all. I'm sure the jokes stopped. The jabs stopped. The waters prevailed on the earth, covered the earth for 150 days. Everything outside of that ark would perish. A day would come where Noah and his family would exit the ark. They would build an altar to the Lord. And the Lord would bless him and his family. God would set a rainbow over the sky as a covenant. Noah's faith, listening to God's word, moving with godly fear, walking with God, being a just man, a righteous man, speaking up about God's coming judgment, it led to the saving of his household. He was saved by faith. And the example of his faith led to the saving of his family. The kind of influence is my faith, your faith, same question to you, what kind of influence is my faith, our faith, having on those we love? You know, I was thinking about how your average husband today and father today is working to make sure their family is safe, protected, fed. Non-believers, believers alike, working tirelessly will do anything to protect their family. Will do anything to save their family from this virus, save their family from the lawlessness, save their family so that they are okay on this planet Earth. But this life on planet Earth is but just a flash in the pan compared to eternity. How many of us are living our life with the deepest of convictions? You know, man, God's judgment is coming. Eternity is like really long. And I just want to be even more passionate and more aggressive in making sure those people that I know and love are ready for that. None of us, if we read through the book of Revelation and even look at the tribulation, the judgment that God's going to be pouring out upon the world for six years, upon the Christ rejecting, would want any of our loved ones to face that. None of us, as we read about the torments of hell, would want any of our loved ones to go to hell. The question is, is my faith grounded enough and moved enough by God's word to where I'm doing something about that? 
during a worldwide pandemic, during an age where lawlessness, as Jesus said, is abounding. Noah, what a witness of persevering faith, a witness of faith that continues to speak over the centuries. Because Jesus said, we close with this in Matthew 24, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were just eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that it began to rain and Noah entered that ark and did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will be the, son, the coming of the Son of Man. That as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. In those days, before the flood, eating and drinking, just life as usual. It'll be business as usual. What else? There was a warning of impending judgment, but the majority scoffed at it, just like we're seeing today. What else? Regardless of the majority's position, judgment came. What else? There will be a believing minority who will be spared in our day, just like there was in Noah's day. Noah's faith still speaks. The warning of judgment still speaks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to share once again, one more day, your word. Father, our Heavenly Father. May you work in our hearts for the prodigals that have ran away from you, believing that this world and what this world has to offer is so much more significant, so much more important than you. If they are convicted right now, any prodigal is convicted right now, Lord, just as they turn back to you, if that's you, turn back to Jesus right now, man. Confess to him whatever it is that you've been doing that you know hasn't pleased him. You've lost that reverence for him. You're no longer obeying him. Confess that to him and run back to him and just receive his embrace. For any here online that have not accepted Jesus into their life, would you just cry out to him right now and say, oh man, I do not want to face the judgment of hell. I do not want to face this judgment of God poured out upon the world when Jesus returns. I want to give my life to Jesus right now. If that's you, just say that to him. Ask Jesus who died on the cross for you and was buried and rose from the dead. You say, Jesus, come into my life right now. I am so done with trying to live life without you. Just take me, receive me, save me, fill me, and help me to walk with you. And if you are part of the body of Christ, and you have been detached from the body of Christ by whatever in these last few months, would you just confess that to the Lord right now? 
whether it's fear, whatever it might be, and say, Jesus, I just, I, I just need to be connected. And ask him, say, Lord, show me how to be connected. Whether it's with our church, you're listening online here, or you're listening online in a different state, as, as we are starting core groups up to reach people that aren't comfortable with large group settings, say, Lord, show me somewhere where I can connect through a phone call, through a text, through Zoom, in-person meetings, Lord. May the body of Christ that's been pulled apart by fear, may that just be over, I pray. May you set us free to be what you've called us to be. And may our faith grow and may our faith persevere. In the name of Jesus, I pray this for our church, for the body of Christ in this day. Amen.